Uh, been very much welcomed here to Central this morning, so we're thankful for that. Go ahead and grab your Bible. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. It's the fifth book in the Bible. Do not hesitate to use your table of contents if you need to find it. Deuteronomy chapter 8. While you're looking, let me set the stage for us a little bit. In Deuteronomy, Moses has brought the people to the very edge of the promised land. They've been wandering around in the wilderness for an entire generation. He has them. He's getting them ready to go into the promised land. And basically, he's preaching to them, preparing them for what they're going to encounter. Because as they go into God's promises, they know they're going to also encounter a lot of warfare. And I want us to think about what we have in common with them. In this life... If, if you are a follower of God, you're following God in this world in very much a wandering type way. We're sort of going this way and going that. This world is, is marred by sin. And so we're very much pilgrims. We're wanderers. And we are going towards what God has promised us in heaven with him forever. So we live our life as wanderers. And as we wander... Moving into his promises by faith, we are also at war. In 1 Peter chapter 5, we're told that we have an adversary, an enemy that prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Jesus tells us in John 10 that there's a thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. We're warned in Ephesians 6 to put on the armor of God so that we can stand against the schemes of the devil. I want you to know you are at war in this lifetime. And as we prepare to follow by faith into God's promises, I want us to listen to what God has to say through what Moses had to say to his people. Let me read beginning in Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 10. We're actually going to focus our time of the message on verse 3. But let's read verses 1 through 10 to kind of set the stage. It says, Moses tells the people, All the commandments that I am commanding you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. You shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord." Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, 
You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Let's pray. God, thank you that we, by your grace, are able to now gather around your word. We believe that the Bible is your very word that you breathed out. It is living and active among us today. And God, through this text, I pray that you would show us what you want us to see Tell us what you want us to hear. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Some of life lessons we learn the hard way. I learned a lesson the hard way just a few weeks ago. My wife and I were getting ready to go out with some friends for dinner. And I was putting on a shirt. And as I I put the shirt on and looked in the mirror, and I noticed it was a little too wrinkly for me to be able to go out in public, and so I decided to iron it. So I did what I've done many times before. I took an iron out, plugged it in, and I began to iron my shirt as I was wearing it. Just ironed it out nice, smooth, efficient way. Now, I know from the previous service, several people have done that. Anybody in here want to raise your hand? Have you ever ironed a shirt while you were wearing it? A few, amen. The brave souls, efficient, save a lot of time. I learned a hard lesson that day. There was a very stubborn wrinkle right about here. I know it's here because there's a scar right here. Very stubborn. And so I I did what you do when there's a stubborn wrinkle. You spray it with steam. I had never done that before while I was wearing a shirt. I pushed the button, sprayed it a few times, and I put the iron to my shoulder. And I, I promise you, I think I might have heard my skin sizzle. I learned a lesson. When you spray steam, it makes it a lot hotter. Life lesson I learned the hard way. I will never forget it. The next time I iron a shirt that I'm wearing, I will not spray the steam on it. So sometimes we have to learn lessons the hard way. The Israelites, here's a segue, right? The Israelites had to learn some of their lessons through challenges the hard way, through some pain. And, and Moses has reminded them, or clarifying for them, a lesson in Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, that I want us to listen to today. Let's look back at that verse. Moses said, God humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you understand That man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. I want us to learn the lesson that God wants to teach us today through this verse. Now, what I want to do first is observe a very brief progression that we see taking place. And then from this progression, I'm going to predict some things in your life. I'm going to give you some life predictions. So first, notice that God humbled his people. That's sort of step one in what Moses is reminding them. God humbled them. Then from there, another step, it says that he let them be hungry, step two. And then as the narrative progresses, so to speak, he finally fed them. It says he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. So there's a progression that Moses is reminding the people of. God humbled you. He let you be hungry. And then he fed you with manna. And from that first half of the verse, what I want to do for a few minutes is I want to give you three predictions in your life 
if you are trying to follow God. If you consider yourself a follower of God, a Christ follower, there are three things in here that I believe I can predict in your life based on God's word. Number one, God will humble you. If you have been saved and are following God, God will humble you. Now think about this. If we read between the lines of the text, there are some things that we realize God did not do for his people. Things he did, things he didn't do. What he did was humbled them. What he did not do was exalt or establish his people right away after delivering them from Egypt. Moses is reminding the people what happened basically when their parents were delivered out of Egypt. God rescued them. Think back to the story where God finally says, I'm going to bring my people out of their slavery. He has them celebrate the Passover lamb to protect them from the destroyer. He performs all of the plagues to show his dominance over Egypt and their false gods. He brings the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. The exodus has been accomplished. One might think maybe at that point he would just simply establish or exalt his people. I even started thinking this week as I was preparing this message that, you know, you might even have thought that maybe his plan would have involved just wiping out Egypt as is and putting his people right there. Moses very well, by the power of God, could have been just placed in the very throne that Pharaoh sat on. That was not God's plan. When God delivered his people, he humbled them. And when God delivers you and me, one of the things that I know is going to happen, I've learned it, many of you have learned it, God is going to humble you. That means he's going to bring you low. He's not just going to lift you up immediately. And as I go through these predictions, I'm going to ask some questions for you to consider for yourself. Some spiritual introspection. Here's my first question. How are you being humbled by God right now? You are God's child. How are you being humbled by him? How, how do you feel in your life where he's bringing you low? And right there, at that point in your life, I want you to know this. God has a lesson that he wants to teach you through that point of humility. He has a lesson he wants to teach you today in this text. That's my first prediction. God will humble you. Here's my second one. God will let you hunger. If you are a child of God, if you are following him, there will come days where God is going to let you you hunger. Moses reminded the people of that. God lets you be hungry, he says. Notice what that means God did not do. That means that when God delivered his people out of Egypt, he did not fill them right away. He let them hunger. He didn't fill them immediately. If you look at Exodus 15, you'll see that they were delivered out of Egypt They walked through the Red Sea. They celebrated a song of deliverance and victory. And they go for three days without water. Do you know what happens to people when they go for three days without water? They begin to die. He finally gives them some water. Then they basically go a month and a half without any food. They're empty. They're hungry. They get to the point 
where they grumble against Moses and they start to ask the question, why did you bring us out here to kill us with hunger? We could have been full, well-fed in Egypt, but you've brought us out here in this wilderness and we're going to starve to death. They got to the point where they had nothing left. God let them hunger. And I want you to know there will be days where you will feel in your soul hungry. So another question I want to ask you is, how do you feel hungry? How does your soul feel hungry? Or maybe put it this way, how how do you feel unfulfilled? Where in your life do you know that there's something that you need but you don't have it? I'm not talking about something you want. I'm talking about something that you know you need. You don't have it. One way of finding that place in your life out is to say, all right, Lord, where am I grumbling right now? God's people grumbled when they got hungry. You and I grumble when we feel like there's something missing and we grumble. Where are you grumbling? It's in that place God wants to teach you something. And I I would imagine there are some people in here who have have gotten to a point in their challenges that's farther than what I've experienced. But as I was thinking about the the people of God getting to the point where they knew they were starving to death, they had nothing left in them, I thought there are probably people here among us because of circumstances where you say, you know what, God, I'm trying to follow you, but I've got nothing left. I cannot take this anymore. If that's you, I want to encourage you today. God wants to tell you something. He has something for you to hear today. So God will humble you. God will hunger you. And third, I want to predict that God will feed you in surprising ways. Moses says he humbled you, let you be hungry. He fed you with manna, which you did not know. When God fed them, there's something he did not do. He did not feed them with something familiar. He fed them with something unknown. In Exodus 16, after they've grumbled for their lives, God says, okay, I'm going to feed them. And what he did is he told them to, when you wake up in the morning, you're going to look out there and you're going to see the bread that I provided. And he, he would let the dew fall. And as the dew evaporated, it said that there was a fine flake-like thing all along the ground. looked like frosting. And the people got up, and for the first time, they see this frosting on the ground, and they ask the question, they say, what is it? And when they said that in their language, it sounded like they were saying, man who, or manna, what is it? And it's manna. God had provided for them something they had never seen, and they looked out and they said, What? And God said, that's right, that's what. And that's what you're going to eat. God provided his people. He fed them with something they did not know. Just think about how unfamiliar manna was to the bread they were used to. They were used to bread that came up out of the ground. This fell from the sky. Doesn't get any more different than that. Fell from the sky. They did nothing to produce this bread. It was a complete act of God's power and mercy and grace in their life. It was a grace gift to them. He provided for them in a way where they literally had nothing they had to do other than get up and go get it. 
And that's not how it was supposed to work. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve do not listen to the voice of God. They disobey his commandments. One of the consequences is what? By the sweat of your face and by your toil will you eat bread. You're going to have to work hard for bread, God said. But in this case, they did not. God graced them with it. That's what God does at times when he needs to feed us in ways that are not familiar. And so I have another question I want you to ask yourself. How is God feeding you in your life right now? Take an inventory, take stock of your life. There are ways that God is providing for you that may feel unfamiliar, maybe even counterintuitive. Some of the ways where you may not even be aware of it right now. I want you to know God will feed his people. And many times it comes in unfamiliar ways. And if you're sensitive to that in your life, I want to encourage you. God has something he wants to tell you today. Moses told the people, you know, God did this to make you understand something. There's a word there where if you kind of dig into a little bit, you get the sense that God basically wants to proclaim something to them. He wants to preach something to them. So for those of you who are aware of your soul hunger, I want to preach to you. I want to preach to you what Moses preached to his people, what God wanted to preach to all of us through his word. God wants you to know two things. Based on the three things I just predicted, God wants you to know two things. Number one, you do not live on bread. Your life does not consist of the things of this earth. Now, I love bread as much as anybody else in this room, but I have to know and confess my life is not sustained on bread. True life is sustained on something else. You know, there were times in the Bible where you might get the impression that life really was only about bread. You may remember the story of a man named Joseph. This is before Moses' time. Joseph had been in slavery himself in Egypt by God's amazing power and plan. He rose to the heights of Egyptian rule. God used Joseph to prepare Egypt for famine, for a time without bread. As the famine came, Joseph had prepared storehouses for the people. They slowly went through those storehouses until those were over. And there came a point, Genesis 47, where the people come to Joseph and they say, We've got nothing left. We can't take it anymore. If you don't give us bread, we're going to die. It sure seemed to them that they lived on bread alone. And there's this ominous moment, sort of a foreshadowing of what God's people will go through, where the Egyptian people sell their lives into slavery to Pharaoh for bread. I want you to know, your life does not consist of bread. Life is not about the things of this world. You live on God's word. Moses said it, man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. You do not live on bread. You live on his word. You say, well, what does that mean? 
I think this passage gives us two clues, two very helpful clues. First, living on God's word means living according to God's commands. Look at verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1. All the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers. Verse 2, you shall remember all the way which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, watch this, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So if we as followers of God are going to live on God's word, that means we're going to live according to his commandments. It also means we're going to live for his promises. Let me point you back to a word in verse 1 again. At the very end of the verse, it says, The Lord swore to give you the land. Moses talks about the land that God swore or promised to give them. There is a promise there that Moses is reminding his people of. This land we're about to go conquer. It's the land that God has promised us. If they were going to live on God's word, they were going to live for God's promises. And he describes the land. Look at verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing forth in valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey. Now imagine you've been wandering in the desert for 40 years, and then you have that land described to you. That would have sounded really good to them. Look at verse 9. He says it's a land where you will eat food without scarcity, in which you will not lack anything, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. When you have eaten and are satisfied, you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. That was God's promised land for his people. And if they wanted true life, they were going to have to live according to the commandments he gave them, and they were going to have to live for the promises that he had before them. And that's the same for you and for me. We do not live on bread alone. We do not live on the things of this world. But I wonder how you're trying to, because you are. I am too. We're all in various ways trying to live on the things of this world. Some of you are kind of like the people when, when God provided manna, he tested them with some very specific commandments. He said, for the first six days, go out, gather as much as each person needs. He had perfect portions for them. And they went out and he said, now make sure you eat it all. Don't let it stay overnight. Some people didn't obey that very simple command. They let some stay over. They had leftovers. And the next morning it had worms in it. It was not any good. Some of us spiritually, I think, live like that. We live out of guilt. What I mean by that is we live in a way where, you know what? Maybe God's grace and provision that I'm experiencing today, maybe it won't be there tomorrow. Maybe I've really messed things up. I don't see how God could keep being so good to me. So I'm going to live in this sense of guilt. I've been there before. Some of you are living on bread alone, living on a spiritual guilt where you're not quite convinced that God's love is going to be there for you tomorrow. I want to encourage you and tell you it is. 
His love and grace is not based on how much you deserve it. You don't. So let God pour his love and grace for you every day. He provides it in perfect portions. Some of us, we live out of our greed. We're like another group of people who on the Sabbath day, on the seventh day, God did not provide manna. He told them that. He said, you know what? On day six, get twice as much because I'm not going to have any for you on day seven. And still, some of the people woke up on day seven, went out expecting to see manna. God got frustrated and said, how long are y'all not going to obey my commandments? They lived out of greed. They woke up saying, I, I expect God to give me. Maybe they were saying in a sense, you know, he did it for us yesterday. He owes it to us today. Some of you guys may be living that way, where you're living out of what you expect from God, presumptuously. You can't have life like that. You cannot have true abundant life living in a greedy world. And so you and I have a problem. Because if we live according to God's word, it means we're obeying his commandments and we're trusting in his promises. But I think in reality... I would say this, God, I know I want your promises, but I cannot maintain your commandments. I just can't do it. And you're the same way. We, we want God's promises, but we know day in and day out, look at how many times we stumble. We cannot keep up with God's perfection, with the standard of righteousness that he represents. We cannot maintain his commandments. What are we going to do? That's where I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news. To get going there, I want you to think back to Genesis 1. In Genesis 1, we're told that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 3, we're told that God began creating through his word. And when he decided to bring everything into existence, what did he do? He spoke it into existence. So think about this. Moses, Deuteronomy 8, says, you don't live on bread alone You live on everything that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. In Genesis, we're basically told everything proceeded from the mouth of the Lord. God spoke existence from his very word. That needs to encourage you. You don't depend on you. You depend on God, and your very life is wrapped up in the power of his word. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, we're told that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And John tells us that everything that came into being came into being through the Word of God. And if you scoot down to verse 14, he tells us that the Word became flesh. The Word became a human and dwelled among us. And now we see that God is going to show his solution to our problem. He knows we cannot dwell with him according to his commandments. So God sends his word, Jesus Christ, to become flesh, to unite us with God in a way that we could never do on our own. So Jesus, the word, became flesh, and he was baptized and celebrated as the Son of God to enter into his ministry. In Matthew 4, after he's baptized, it says the Spirit, watch this, led him into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and he didn't eat anything. And he got hungry. That should sound very similar to Deuteronomy 8. Jesus is hungry, and the devil comes to him, and he says this. He says, if you really are the Son of God, 
then turn those stones into bread. And Jesus tells him, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. Man lives on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of God proclaimed the word of God. And he goes on and he carries out his ministry. And he gets very popular. Thousands of people would follow Jesus, the word of God. There was one day where an estimated 10 to 20,000 people were following him, listening to him teach, seeing what powers and miracles he would do. They get hungry. He tells his disciples, feed them. They say, you're crazy. We can't feed them. He says, well, fine, I'll do it. It went somewhat like that. He says, have the people sit down. And it says that Jesus took some bread. He gave thanks to the Father, and he broke that bread. And as he broke that bread, he started distributing it to his disciples, and they passed it around, and everybody was fed more than enough, perfect amount of leftovers for the disciples to take home and to think about as they pondered the power of their Messiah. He provided bread, and he told the crowd this. They came, they followed him, they said, we want you to do something else. He said this. He said, I am the bread of life. And he tells them, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you do not have life in yourselves. He says, but whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life in him. You know what happened? That crowd basically dwindled down to 11. They couldn't take it. It, it just bewildered them for him to talk so shockingly. But what he was telling them is what he was going to do. And there came a night where he sat around the table with his closest followers. He knows he's going to be arrested very soon. He's celebrating the Lord's Supper, the last time, the Passover meal. And it says in Luke 22, verse 19, he takes bread and he blesses it. He thanks God for it. He breaks it. And he starts to give it to his closest disciples. He tells them, this is my body, which is given for you. You can't live life on your own. You need me for life. This is my body I'm giving for you. He says, eat this in remembrance of me. And that Jesus, that bread of life, would go to the cross and he would be hung on that cross, just as we sung about, and he would allow his body to be broken. And he would allow his blood to be spilled. And he did that for you and for me to pay the penalty of our sin, to cover the gap that exists between us and our sinfulness and God and his righteousness. You cannot live on bread alone. You can only live on the word of God who showed us that he was the bread of life and he took our death for us so we could have his life. He died on that cross. He was buried and on the third day he rose from the grave demonstrating victory over death, demonstrating that there's a life beyond what we could possibly fathom on our own. He was raised, ascended to heaven and that's where he is. And the Bible teaches us he's coming back one day. He's coming back as our lamb, as our groom. In chapter 19, it says, Blessed 
is everyone who is invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so you can consider yourself blessed because I have invited you to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You say, well, how do I get there? You confess Jesus Christ as Lord. You acknowledge that he has risen from the grave, that he's the Lord of lords. You say, thank you. The words that we sang on the screen, thank you. You became sin for me so that I could become the righteousness of God in you. You receive what he's done in your life. And you have a wedding feast to look forward to. And I bet you the bread is going to be awesome. So I ask you, follower of God, are you humbled? Are you hungry? Are you trying to figure out how God is going to feed you? Be encouraged. Your life is only in the Word of God. If you are not a follower of God, I want you to think about this. Until you receive Christ, you do not have real life. You're just existing in a fallen world, a world that is suffering under the weight of its own sin. But Jesus came to deliver us, and it is only in his name that you can have true life. And I exhort you today to proclaim him as your Lord and as your Savior. For a few years, I had the privilege of leading what was called kids' worship. And so week in and week out, I would be in a, a group of five to eight-year-olds as we worshiped, and uh, an unforgettable experience. And there was one morning where uh, there was, a, I was not preaching that day, there was another preacher, and the preacher asked the kids, he says, if you could ask God for anything in the world, what would it be? And of course, hands shoot up. Well, there's one kid in the back. His hand shot up like he had been waiting for someone to ask him that question. No doubt about it. He knew exactly what he wanted. Preacher says, what do you want? He goes, donuts from the sky. And I thought, that's hilarious. That actually sounds very good because I love donuts. And you know what? How sweet would that be if donuts came from the sky? Sort of like manna. Well, I want you to know this. There is nothing sweeter than life in Jesus Christ. Follow life in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are so good to us to, to let us hear from you. God, I know that your spirit right now is working in ways that, that I couldn't comprehend in so many lives, and so I just ask that that we would all be sensitive to what you're doing, what you want to show us and continue to tell us as we ponder the truth of your word. Forgive us, Lord, for the many ways where we try to live on bread alone. Thank you for being gracious and sending your son, the word of God, the bread of life, to give us life that we could never get. I pray that we celebrate that life, that we follow you in humility and in gratitude. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.